Welcome to this week's CTO studio. We have Brant, Vidya, and Michael Singer in the studio. Michael's going to talk to us about keeping your head in the game while scaling a company like this. I have a wonderful electronic invention I want you to see. It looks something like this. Welcome to the CTO studio. I'm your host, Etienne de Bruin. The CTO studio is where we chat with CTOs building amazing products with incredible teams. Have you chatted with a CTO lately? Michael, Vidya, Brandt, you're in the CTO studio. It's one whole week later. How do you guys feel? A week later from what? From the last episode. Yeah, I wasn't here last week. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it just really feels like these weeks are flying by. I know, it's crazy. It's It's just like every week, it's like, like just flies. But, you know, uh, the fact that I get to spend time with you is just, you know. It's priceless. It is. I love it. So, Brant, you're the founder of Move the Needle. Yes. You also wrote New York Times bestselling books. One, yeah. The Lean Entrepreneur. Um, I'm gonna mul- I'm just using the multipli- the, the, the multiple of it to sound. Okay, go ahead. And then Vidya, mm-hmm. founder of Ad Astra, mm-hmm. the CPO of My Heart. Aww, <laughs> that made me so good. <laughs> that was so good. I'm like, okay, uh, I'm just gonna say, um, that was nice. That was so unrehearsed. <laughs> I, I it, it's just, when I saw you, I said that. It's not, then, ri- it's not written on your notepad. It's not. That's a, that's a doodle. Michael Singer. VP, that's me. EVP of technology at Veo. CTO. CTO. Welcome. CTO at heart. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought I had that. Come on. Anything at heart, it's yes. mine. Okay. Yes. Okay. I own. Just that. remember that we the, that list just came out, right? The sexiest accents. Right. Where's and Israeli? You have, and you know who's got it. We have two you do. at the table. It's a Kiwi, and number two is coming South. in a close second is South Africa. So how do the two of you feel about that? Well, I, it's really based hot upon, in here. Based upon uh, your national sports, I, I'm still going to stand by the U.S. in rugby sevens, and you guys can have the sexiest accent, and mm. you guys come in. Mm. What We've got to give you one every, what, 10, this 20 was years? A, it's like that, was a, that was a shame. And where did the, is, where did the Israeli accent land? I, d- I don't know. I didn't see the list. I, j- I just saw the first two because it was a bit on The Daily Show. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Michael, tell us about Veo. Well, let's, let's talk about accents some more. Okay. <laughs> How do you say Veo? Veo? Yeah. Veo. Where's that come from? What does Veo. it mean? Veo. Veo. Oh, where's the name from? Yeah. Marketing firm. No, but what does it Everyone mean? Everyone asks me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Every, people ask us, where's, what, where's the, what, how did you come up with the name? We're like, well, we had a marketing firm come in and say, this is the best name for this business. Well, because Vidya, they used to be 2.B, right? Correct. It stands Two. for conveyance. We're, we're, ah. moving, we're moving members, we're moving people, getting them to the healthcare appointments. So, so that's they how are, we ended up with Vidya. It's Veo. memorable and it's mm-hmm. short. And it's better than 2.B. 2.B, okay. That, that is definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a pencil. Correct. So yeah, things are trending in the right direction for exactly. your company. I can sense it. Name name 
down. So what 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 does Veo do? Next goal, profit. Um, so Veo does healthcare transportation. We drive members. Uh, we pick up members, drive them to their healthcare appointments. We work with insurance. Like, like an Uber, like so you're. We've been referred to as Uber for healthcare. Okay. Um, that's okay. Uh, we we work mainly with insurance companies. They're gonna send us trips um, or send us members. Members will call or use the app or use the portal. Um, and then we're gonna we have a fleet of drivers, people who drive their own vehicle. That's our innovate. That, that's our disruption in the space. The space has existed. There has been healthcare transportation for a long time. It has been done with buses, cabs. Uh, we brought rideshare into the space. Um, we do it more efficient, um, a better service. So why service. would they use you versus just use Uber or Lyft? When you say they, you, the you mean... The, the right, person who's using right. a so service. So the member is not the one making a decision. Mm. The health plan makes the decision. Um, and for the health plan, those different needs, they need different things from their drivers. For example, our drivers are credentials. They go through CPL training. They go to, through very thorough background checks. They go through uh, drug testing, which that's where we lose about 80% of our applicants for drivers. Um, 80%? Yeah, so we, yeah, so, so in theory. Right there, isn't it? <laughs> Seriously, 80%? Like, oh, wow, D don't apply. Well, not only that, but that's <laughs> who's driving for Uber, I'm guessing. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> the other 80? Exactly. <laughs> No, so we can we have people who drive for both Uber and us. It's just a lot of them when a lot of them just leave when they hear that they have to go through the drug test. But, you know. Um so yeah, so that's what we do. So why wouldn't Uber do it? A because the cred driver credentialing is a lot more complicated. They're just not interested. It's not that they can't. It's they have enough doing everything else. Um, and then, um, because we manage a benefit, so it's a so it's a lot. To, in, in, to some extent, it's a lot more complicated than what Uber does. So, imagine you go to your doctor. First, they have to check your insurance. They have to make sure that you are insured. They have to make sure that you're eligible for the specific service you're looking for. Um, so we we have to do all of that. We have to look for the best mode of transportation for this, the cheapest, best, cheapest, most. Um, appropriate mode of transportation for this member. Sometimes that's going to be a bus pass. So, sometimes um, this member is just fine. Uh, we're going to send them a bus pass in the mail, and and that'll be good enough okay. for them. So a lot so of your full service. So correct. it's not just the the personal ride or the van share. It's it's everything. Exactly, right. And and the main difference. So so Uber and Lyft are just. Um, mainly not interested in this. Sometimes they are, but they they don't want to go and bid LFPs and take. They they just want the trips, and some of those trips could go for them. A lot of them require special modes of transportation. You have people. If that the payer is involved, then there's something special, right? This is not just me going to my doctor's appointment. Is if a payer is involved, then that means there's some there's some qualifications that are are necessary beyond what an average Uber or Lyft driver is going to provide. Exactly. Right. Right. So how big is this? I mean, how many people will need the service? How many, is it, is it all hospitals and medical companies or? So most of our trips are going to be um, dialysis, chemo, um, behavioral patient. If you've heard about the opioid epidemic, we're a big part of correcting that. 
uh, or, or fixing that. Um, the market, the, the opportunity itself is about five billion in the U.S. Healthcare transportation, mm. uh, we've um, grown to about two hundred million out of that in the last five years. So um, it, it was done very inefficiently, and we came into this space and, and really disrupted it by bringing in a new model. And um, we grew also very quickly, which was one of the better adventures I've had thus far. <laughs> right, amazing. That's super and, cool. And, and uh, your growth is also uh, you're having to it's regulated and you have to sign deals with healthcare systems. Right? Correct. So we don't acquire. We we're, it's not a consumer play. Right. Right. It's a B to B to G or B to B. Uh, we we win RFPs and we don't. It it's also it's kind of like a me coming from a startup culture and like liking everything agile it's the complete opposite of that you go <laughs> live on january 1st with 15,000 trips you better be ready <laughs> there's no like let's try this out let's try with 100 trips first it's a very uh waterfall type process does that make you just like your heart freeze no because it's a complete misunderstanding of what agile and waterfall <laughs> is <laughs> thank you should I explain that? Yes, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> Qualify. Right. So uh, doing things in a small way or running experiments has nothing to do with Agile. Agile is a, a, is a method of implementing uh, something. It doesn't even have to be anything new. It's, a, it's, a, it's using a time frame that makes sense based upon what you're doing, say two-week sprints or one-week sprints or month-long sprints, where it makes sense to check in to see how things are going. That's almost all what that those sprints are. So if you are building new features, then rather than do something new to 150,000 rides at once before you know whether it's going to work, then you might choose to run an experiment and do it on a smaller scale before you roll it out to 150,000. But if you know, in fact, that you're going to roll out 150,000 uh, rides during a, you know a day or a week or whatever, then you do 150,000 of them. So um, the agile process is really a way of uh, empowering teams to go and execute and do what they need to do or learn instead of execute or do some combination of it, but have a means to communicate and structure those teams and uh, execute on whatever is in your sprint over whatever time frame you decide. But it's also, and maybe this was in there somewhere, it's also a way to uh, provide more opportunity for feedback, right? So you're, you're right. also looking at shrinking tasks into those time frames so as to solicit more feedback. Well, so I think that that was the, the first thing that I said, which is that when, when, what is the cadence that makes sense for you to pause and reflect on what you've done in order to get feedback and mm. to see whether things are going as if you expected them to go? Um, and so, uh, so how you would do that in, a, in, in this sort of business model, I have no idea. I, I kind of doubt that the the different drivers need to have a daily stand-up and talk about the where they're driving that morning. Um, but the whole flexibility of Agile, the meaning of Agile is to be able to take in new information and change your plans based upon that new information. And so what you need is a regular cadence of bringing in that new information 
evaluating it and deciding whether anything should change. Yeah, I, I definitely. So that, that's where I, um, I separate between a product deployment. We're going to go live in this market, right? And then you might want to choose a waterfall type approach because it's not, you're not doing something new. Right. Well, at least you shouldn't be doing something new. Right. Right. You should know what you're doing. So a deployment could be like, you know, I, I get this a lot. Is agile everything? Should everything be agile? No, not always. Right. Mm -hmm. um, agile is really good when you're building something new and you have to learn. I agree with you. You kind of need to identify what cadence, when do you want to take input in and change your, your direction. But, but whenever you build something new, you need to be able, you have to plan for uncertainty. There's no, there's no way, you know, you're building something new by definition. You don't know everything. Right. Um, but when you go and do a deployment, you know, we do these deployments of, like I said, you know, 15,000 trips a day, 10,000 trips a day. So these are big projects, but they're projects. We're just taking our platform and mm -hmm. bringing it into a new uh, market. There's customizations, there's all, there's requirements, but you by definition again you shouldn't be surprised you should have a plan you should have a playbook and just follow that playbook and then in that case that becomes a waterfall type project and that's all fine right i agree with that i the way i would put it is that uh waterfall is agile with a really long sprint i like that you know i'm curious though because um if, in those circumstances right <laughs> you don't want to apply that to where there's a lot of you, uncertainty you heard that here yeah. <laughs> and there's a waterfall at the end of it no, but I'm curious about, um, you talked about the requirements and so forth, and it's highly regulated, and you have all these various things that you have to follow. So how do you go beyond that? Like you talked about being disruptive. Is that just to bring a more systematic and faster and cheaper solution? Or is there something that you're doing that's actually delighting people? Well, so uh, the more, um, you know, look at what Uber did in the consumer space, right? It, it gave you a cheaper and better experience. And that's exactly what we want to bring. Healthcare is very sensitive to price, and we want to provide a cheaper product. If it's going to cost more, no one's going to buy it. Um, but we also care a lot about the members, and we want to make sure that we pick up more members. So in every contract that we take over, we, we not only look at our metrics, but we look at what was there before and what um, you know what, not, what? What what metrics existed in this market before we came in? Do we pick up more members? Do we provide better service? Do we answer phones faster? Like like you said, I mean, this is a whole service, the whole ecosystem that we're bringing in. We're not only innovating on the right chill side; we're also innovating in the call center. Our, our automated IVL, mm -hmm. we're using NLP to understand what people do want when they call us, so we can answer faster, so they don't have to talk to an agent. We're, we're innovating, we're bringing technology into a space that was using faxes and file cabinets and, and buses and very inefficient methods. And we're trying to, you know, just using the world disruption, we're not just coming in to be annoying. <laughs> we're coming in to change and to provide a better service for our members. And those members, so is, the, is that the healthcare is it the actual, uh, it's not the user of the, of the, it's not the person being transported, right? No, the members would be Medicaid patients. Yes, yes. Oh, right? the Medi actual patients. Right. And the customers are the insurance companies okay. that provide ah, the health okay. 
So if, you, if, you, if, if the patient has a horrible experience, they'll complain. They'll complain, right? I mean, that, that feedback loop happens. So, so. So will they? So will the patient download a Veo mobile app and have an Uber-like experience? Well, they'll medic. They'll, they could, but they don't want to. So most of the most of the trips will come through a call center, um, and in the call center also, we, that's what I was saying. Like we're trying to uh, provide as much innovation as possible in the call center experience, also to kind of give the member a high tech. It's radio, so you don't see my call. More. Oh, it's video. Okay, high-tech experience. <laughs> For those who can't see Michael, he just did air quotes. Yes. <laughs> Begin. Around which word? Air quotes. High-tech. High-tech. Oh, it seems like high-tech. Right, like when you call in, instead of just talking to an agent, you have you, you work through, a, through an IVL system that tries to identify what you're asking, what you're looking for when you book a trip we, we also provide a portal for our facilities doctor's offices so they can see trips coming in trips going out and they can book those trips um, on, on the facility portal we provide the a portal for the insurance company so they can audit their data we you know everything is automated everything is at the tip of your fingers everything is transparent which is kind of the exact opposite of where the space was before we came in so when we say I mean, yes, we're a disruptive play because we're using Rideshare and but um, we're we're also disruptive. It's not disruptive. We we just we provide better service. Members, our mem mem our Medicaid patients um, get a better ride, a better experience, um, and the insurance company pays less. So you know, everyone walks away happy. So it was like the hardest thing to do because you know. I did some work in the insurance space and it moves really slowly. So yes. what was the what was the hardest thing? Um honestly scale. Uh I mean there's a lot of things that were hard. Uh convincing the space that this is something different and it'll work. Um uh convincing them to change. I mean you still you know, you have to change some small things. You're used to uh, doing an, an audit used to be we fly to the customer's office, we open some file cabinets, we look for driver files, we, you know, um, and now an audit is we go into the portal and we look at the driver's profile and we have all the data right there. And it seems like it's easier, but, you know, you, you don't know how many times customers said, well, can you just send us an email and a fax also? <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, um, but the hardest on our side was just like um, was the scale. We growing from we were uh, three employees, five employees. We were three started the company five years ago. There's a, almost 600 employees today. And beyond the technical challenge of scaling the platform, and we we moved from a monolith to microservices, and that was. Uh, a fun adventure that I've heard a lot of uh, tech CTOs go through. Um, but scaling a company is also really difficult. Building all these processes that take 10, 20 years, we had to just, you know, build them in, in one, uh, in a month, in a year. Um, and also the company changes. A company that does uh, 30 million in revenue is very different from a company that does 60 million and a company that does 200 million. When that hap happens over one year, it's, yeah, that's it's really challenging. So, really crazy. how does one even navigate that? I don't know. You need, you know, a Superman or something. 
Are you part of a <laughs> network that helps you think through things at all? <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> that's, no. that's your cue. That's right. <laughs> So and uh, no, I, so I mean, so Etienne, yeah. are, are, were you the one that did this? Were you the <laughs> Superman? No, I'm joking. I do love Superman. I am part of a network, and it's been extremely helpful for me being part of this network. Right. You should also consider seven CTOs. I know, not only that, I also recommend to every person I see that that is in uh, my shoes when you know I make conferences. I'm like. You need a network. You need people to support you through this. It's an awesome experience, but it can be really, you know, it, it has its ups and downs, oh, oh. right? Um, and and having a group of peers that, that have been through it and can help you, and mm -hmm. some are going through it right now, and some have been through it, and some will go through it is awesome. Right. So how did, you, how did you build your organization? So you're like, just give us an idea of your direct reports. So that has also ebbed and flowed, but today um, I'm, I have a director of engineering that's building, that's running the engineering organization, a VP of product that's managing product and use UX, uh, an a chief architect that's um, working on innovation and algorithms and that kind of stuff, and a, a director of data science who's working on algorithm, uh, sorry, a director of data science and a director of IT. So these would be my direct reports. The data science and architecture are, at this point, kind of the same thing, not because they are the same thing, but right now we're kind of, we're working a lot on um, innova like building innovative algorithms and the traveling salesman problem space, vehicle routing space. So those groups are working together. Uh, product and engineering are, you know, Product is product, engineering is engineering. What and does that mean? Hmm? What does that mean? Um, well, product is building the roadmap, is doing the research, is uh, defining what we're going to build today, tomorrow, and uh, in six months. Uh, and engineering is executing on mm. that vision. Um, and um, NIT is uh, building our networks. We have now five offices, so network, security, desktop, all that fun stuff. Sounds like a wild ride, right? Wow. I'm wondering what is some what do you do on Monday and then Tuesday and then Wednesday and then what do you, you do on Thursday and Friday? <laughs> like what do you do for lunch? <laughs> what do you do for lunch? <laughs> I mean that's one of my favorite when that when you interview people, they come and say, So what do you do? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Go out for lunch, do well, this. What do you do to stay I mean there's the there's the stress of expansion which you know for me i come alive in the innovation phase this can't be done i'm going to prove everyone wrong or i love that phase but but when it comes to okay now we just have to be be really good at the the mundane and just be disciplined and process like where where how do you where do you see yourself in that in that sort of this current life cycle of this expansion Coming to work on Mondays and then you feel what? Like happy? Oh. I feel claustrophobic. Claustrophobic? Maybe it's maybe hmm. maybe it's how you build out your team though, right? So I mean I what I try to think about is what have I figured out? What is the what is the blueprint that has been established? And then who on my team 
who have I brought on that can execute that? And if, so if I'm functioning properly, then I'm almost always working on the unknown. I'm actually working on what needs to be figured out next because I've got a team that's actually executing on, on what's the known side. And so I think it's, it's managing people does become super challenging. And we, you know, as, as a company grows, we have to deal with all of that. And so I, I actually do find that difficult. Um, but, but as a, as a, as a chief, if you're on the C-suite, in my view, you need to be figuring out the big problems, uh, where your company's going, what is the strategy, how do I drive more revenue? Uh, you're, you're tackling the unknown stuff because you have a team that actually is executing mm. on what's been figured but you know, out. I, I find, so I'll give you a counter. I think the bigger the teams, I think it's all people. I think that's what you end up doing. And maybe you've got a great team. It'd be nice to be able to figure out the unknown. But whenever I've had really big teams, all your problems are people problems, like every single one. And you are just managing people and your culture and making it a great place to be and enabling them to do the work that they do. So I find that the bigger the team, it's like you actually have to, um, that's carving out and spending all that time sounds like a that sounds fantastic i've just never had that experience yeah I, well i think this is the big change that's happening and i think it's the i think it's based upon the world that we're living in now and that we have to be fast and we have to be agile and we have to be figuring out the next stuff we don't have 10 years to figure out the next stuff and so i think that the way we form our teams to me again the my mantra really is around the agile part because what i want are autonomous teams that are assigned uh, metrics and outcomes that move the company forward and so that that's not what I'm managing that's what a team is responsible for doing um, it's easier said than done no doubt about it um, but it, I tell you what if I'm if what I have to do is manage people and manage personalities and and do that day in day out I, I know I'm not growing my company yeah I just think my reality has been you can have great people but people are people and working together you know the the work and the autonomy all of that sounds great but every product leader i know you spend most of your time getting getting issues getting teams to work effectively building that culture figuring out how you get certain people out the right people in it's, it's a huge we problem. structure the companies incorrectly in my opinion it, they're, it's based upon the assembly line it's based upon the industrial age it's not where we are anymore and the very structure of companies is fundamentally going to change to deal with the 21st century, in my opinion. I think what, what's that? What, what I see, um, especially coming back to Michael, um, I, there's so many CTOs that I talk to who help that company launch uh, and then go from the innovation product market fit stage to establishing a sustainable growing business to then going into expansion mode, and especially if you're beholden to uh, goals set by VCs and you know, you're know you chasing that growth, that at that point the CTO starts saying, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And then the symptom that I see is they say, and, and a lot of times it starts with hiring the VP of engineering who reports to the CTO, and then they chug along for a couple years then the VP engineering starts reporting into the CEO and the CTO is now tasked with 
the unknowns. Like, let's go and R&D, let's think about the future. And then what happens is the CTO's value then gets challenged because the stuff that they're R&Ding can't necessarily be ingested back into the company. So now there's this feeling of devalue and now and they have their little skunk works team and whatever. And then there's this, I call it sort of the post-CTO phase where it's like, okay, uh, now now what? I mean, you're... You know, come, you, you constantly need to innovate. You, you can't, there's always someone in the garage somewhere trying to build what you're building better, bigger, faster. I agree. It's not inventing something that's five years down the road. It's actually inventing something that's going to come out next year. I, I actually, um, you know, I'm going to quote my CEO on this. I don't know if that's a... <laughs> that's beautiful. But, but I think he'll be happy. He, well, I don't you know. name him. Josh. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> He's the guy who introduced me to you, right? He, he did. Wonderful. Josh at twopointb.com. Correct. Um, he he challenged me a while ago and he said, um, you know, for you to to be able to do what you need to do, you need to have a team of A plus, 10, 5 out of 5, whatever you want to call them, players, and a team that you can trust. And that's where I think, you know, I yes, you have to be involved. And the, as it's a big company, it's a big organization, there's always going to be people issues, you you. To say that it's a hundred percent, you know, I'm just going to be working on innovation. I wish, right? But that's just not going to happen. But if you can uh, uh, focus at least fifty percent of your time on innovation and and looking for new stuff, um, that that's also a problem. And that's maybe because you have a team you don't trust. And if you trust your team to deal with people issues. If you t trust your team to understand the business and be in tune with the business and make good product decisions and good engineering decisions, um, many times you can let go or have a trust and verify type relationship. You know, you just you know keep me up to date on what you guys are deciding, and I'll provide you feedback and um, we we make sure we're aligned. But at a high level, you know, you you don't have to be involved in every decision. That said, I also, you know, I personally, not everyone agrees with me. I, I like to dive in sometimes and I like, you know, there's 10 things we're working on, but there's this one thing that really matters a lot for the company right now. So I'm going to go into every detail, maybe look even at code or get, get very immersed in the context of the team and, and work with them and um, again, like not not take over anything. No, I think that's the, great. The goal is always to provide guidance. Obviously, you know, I'm not going to start coding, but I mean, I wish I could, but that's. <laughs> um, but um, but you kind of have this relationship, and you have a team that you trust, and and um, they they can help a lot. It it that's one of the biggest keys. So l last week I mentioned the book uh, Multipliers. And to me, that's a great book mm -hmm. for this type of thing. It's like, uh, I, I think also last week I mentioned that there's so many great leadership books out there. And three years ago, I never read them. And now I read all of them <laughs> that I can get my hands on. Uh, Dare to Lead, Brene Brown, uh, General McChrystal's Team of Teams, and this Multipliers book. And it really is about that. It's how can you actually build teams and empower people so that you don't need to be managing them all the time. Um, and I, and I, you know, I've had to do a ton of learning myself. And I mentioned before that uh, 
that I, I, I've always been part of what my DNA is, is to empower other people to make those decisions. But then I, it took me a while to realize that I actually had to teach people how to be empowered. And that was like, oh, it's an active step. It's not me just letting go. It's actually have to teach them how to do it. And so uh, that gets back to more actually managing people like you're talking about. So it's definitely not hands off. But I know what the desired outcome is. And the desired outcome is, is that they're not seeking permission from me. And it still happens in Slack every day. It's like, stop putting me in. I'm the bottleneck. And so I still have to work on it. But I know what the outcome is supposed to be. And it's that people are making decisions and they don't and they're going to make mistakes. And I'd much rather them actually make a decision and it be a mistake than to put me into every process. That's just I can't scale a company that way. Absolutely. And that takes work. I mean, setting that culture is you've just set a set of values and a set of culture that says this is what I want. And it takes a ton of work to make that happen because you have to show up every single day and behave that way. So it's it's not hands-on work. It's building the culture. Right. Yeah. Which is the social thing and collaborative thing and a be present thing. But what do you say to the CTO type who is the one that I took a really long time to explain to you guys and none of you jumped on it? <laughs> um, what do you say to that that person? Well, see, my problem is I'm actually going back to the the very structure that you've got a VP of engineering and the VP of engineering has five di- directors of engineering and the, and the five directors of engineering each have three to five engineering managers and each engineering. Ma- I mean, that hierarchy is actually the problem. And, and, and so the roles of those different people inside of that organization are so clearly defined where now the VP of engineering is responsible for driving the revenue this year. So of course the CEO wants that person. And to me, all of that structure is wrong. So the bank of ING in Amsterdam is, is re their agile transformation throughout all of the banks. This is like a huge bank, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people and they do a complete agile transformation across all functions inside the company. And they're eliminating layers and layers and layers of middle management. And so some of the problems that you're talking about are actually, they're integral to the structure of the company. Mm. And if you tell the CTO that they have to go and work on the unknown, and that means going and doing R&D for some new technology that might appear in five years from now, that decision right there has sidelined that CTO. Mm. And it's not what I'm talking about. I, I think we're getting actually back to where Michael is, is that it's you're always working on something that's the unknown. And that could be people and processes, mm. and it could be features, and it could be new markets, and it could be strategy because you're on the you're part of the C-suite. So it's it's just under knowing that the, the function of the business is going to continue without you overseeing everything. So I have a different, I mean, I'm going to answer it a little bit differently. So you talked about this person who's built this up and it feels like they're sidelined, feels like they're devalued. And I think it goes back to what's driving you as a person, right? What makes, what brings you joy? What is, what do you want to do? And if you can really examine that and you can align it with where the business needs you, then that's where you go. Mm. I think the devaluing is, I'm sure, and I totally empathize. I think it's hard when you've been the person who's been on the hot seat, you've built the team, you've built the technology, it's scaled, it's beautiful, and now you feel like maybe that's not what you do anymore. 
But I see that as a beautiful opportunity just to like dig deep and say, what is it? What is it that I really want to do? And then see mm. where your business is mm. going and put those two together. Yeah, I wish it's I a had, great opportunity. I wish I did that. <laughs> you still can. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just need, you need to hire Vidya. She can help you with that. She does leadership mentoring. <laughs> she does. <laughs> you get it for free, my friend. Um, Michael, I love that you said that you sort of sort of hone in on that little bottleneck or that little thing. You know, I think that probably inspires the team, even if you are, you know, not part of the critical process, but uh, contributing, you know, the code review or the the little chart or the ideation yeah, product. Yeah. That's where I. Yeah, and I think that. So, so how do you stay? emotionally vested i mean i know you've been through i mean this company has gone through multiple phases of growth and and struggle like like are you just so passionate about the vision and the mission that it's like this is it i'm, I'm doing this like how does one stay anybody get a feeling that these podcasts are really a little bit of self-help <laughs> <laughs> I, I just invite people to help me <laughs> And feel free to use me as an example. Uh, you know, yeah. you know um, I, I'm trying to remember when, but I think maybe a year, maybe two years ago, I think we were in this room. And guess what? This good-looking guy said something that stayed with me. Who are we talking about? Who, who was the other guest? <laughs> <laughs> so... At the, you know, we were, I, I was at one of, you know, it, it's ups and downs, it's startups, and I wasn't on one of my ups. And um, uh, I was thinking, oh, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I'm going crazy. And Etienne um, said, you know what frustrates me in these uh, CTO forums is I see these guys that work for these amazing companies and have all these amazing opportunities. And um, instead of in, 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 instead of uh, doing everything they can to to change the company or to you know to make an impact, um, you know they kind of they give up and they start looking somewhere else. Mm. Wow, that was deep. Oh, wow. I must have been high or something. <laughs> I have no recollection of that. So it worked. Wow, right. Um, and uh, I, you know, I. It, I always realize it's it's always in my hands. It, it's no, up to me, no. mm -hmm. right? Um, it's my company, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm I'm about I've been part of it for five years. I, I obviously I care a lot about what we do. Um, I also, you know, I um, I care about our mission a lot. I mean, we we help Medicaid patients when they really need us. Medicaid is lower income. No, Uber is for millennials. I've I, I went to this conference where um, uh, some guy from Snap was explaining how they're building cat filters, and I was thinking, oh my god, it's brilliant! Like they went, he went through kind of the, and I was like, whoa, the greatest minds of all generation <laughs> building cat filters. It's brilliant. <laughs> so that's like uh, that's actually really important though that. Uh, I think it's really easy when we get into execution mode to forget that it's still in in our hands. Mm -hmm. And I guess mm -hmm. I think that that's happened to me several times in my life. And I try to teach it to my my daughters. Mm -hmm. It's actually, you know, 
you're going to get into these modes where you're just like you're you're repeating on it's a daily hard, basis it's yeah. difficult. and then you just go, i don't know if we're going to get money i right. don't and then it, the easiest thing is josh is annoying the everyone else is annoying the the we you know the the insurance companies they just don't get it yeah. right. We're all never, these forces are aligned everyone against us. is against me right yeah, it makes total sense then to say well this isn't for me let me go find something else yeah. maybe i'll go work at microsoft and just code or something take a break but then but why you built this amazing organization mm -hmm. you have such a you have a good team you have a good leader you have a good team working like on you know good operations good this good that Everything is in your hands. You can do it. So wow, that sounds like a mic drop. <laughs> that was your, that's your tweet right there. I think we're done. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was that was really profound. Thank you, Vidya, Brandt, Michael. It was fun. I think right now it's kind of fading to black. See you next week. <laughs> 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 Have you chatted with a CTO lately? Hi, thank you for listening to the CTO Studio. If you don't mind, take a quick second and please rate and review the show. It helps us a lot. Go to thectostudio.com for more information on what we're doing at 7CTOs. We also have a video or two for you that could be a helpful resource for you as you're managing your company. So thank you for listening.